0: Father, you've blessed me with some incredible friends. Sometimes when I really need to unload on them and just kind of unpack my burdens, they're not always available at that moment. And so I'm overwhelmed when I recognize this morning as I listen to the words of that song that the God of the universe is available right now at any moment, anytime, anywhere, any place. It's unbelievable that, Father, you would invite us with all of our stuff and all of our issues to listen and allow you to hear us. Thank you for inviting us to your table for calling those of us who know you as Savior, sons and daughters of the living God. Father, I thank you for my friends. Thank you for my church family. But I could never thank you enough for knowing that when I come to you, you are right there. Thank you very much for that. In Jesus' name. A couple of weeks ago when Dave and I were talking about this service and what we were going to do with communion and the set and songs we were going to sing, I shared with him the context of the message and he said, I got the perfect song, and he really did. That song describes what it that is we're going to talk about this morning. You'll also hear that again as an opportunity to prepare your heart for what God wants to say to you and I in communion and maybe what you want to say to him as we share communion this morning. You have sermon notes in your bulletin, so I encourage you to take them out. You're going to see the sermon is entitled, Come to Jesus. Now what I really wanted to title it is this. Are you tired, run down, worn out, feeling like you've come to the end of your rope with no one to talk to and no one who cares? I've got an answer for you, but it was a little too long to put in the front of the bulletin. But that really is the message. And that is the context of the message. Now maybe that describes none of you here this morning, but I've got to believe that every once in a while there are a couple of you who come on a Sunday morning and you are tired, you are run down, you're a little worn out, you feel like you've come to the end of your rope, you don't have anyone to talk to, and you really need to do it right now, and no one seems to care. Well, if that describes one of you or a hundred of you this morning, I've got a great answer for you. Jesus does. And he gives us this unbelievable invitation in Matthew chapter 11 to say, come to me. And so this morning, the message is entitled, Come to Jesus. Now, i got a good friend named Brian. And every once in a while, Brian says, I've got to have a come to Jesus moment with someone. When I know Brian, who is is six foot five and 225 pounds, says, I'm going to have a come to Jesus moment with somebody, it's going to be a little intense. And when somebody says to you that size, we're going to have a come to Jesus moment with that kind of look on his face, I know it could go sideways and maybe a little south. So when I talk about we're going to have a come to Jesus moment this morning, erase that picture from your mind. It's a much gentler approach of coming to Jesus. I got to believe that every once in a while, some of us really are flat out, worn out. My philosophy of life for the last 63 years has been work hard, play hard. And so that's how I've lived my life. We had man camp this weekend And I worked hard to prepare for it. When when I got there, we played hard. I mean, we played hard. So much so that I think I broke my hand, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. But we played with so much intensity you can't imagine. And then these 14 or 22-year-olds would come to me and say, come on, one more. One more game, one more game, one more game. And I kept saying, I think I got one more in me. 29 times I said, I think I got one more in me. Until I was flat out worn out. And so when I looked at this sermon title this morning, I thought, this is me. I'm just flat out worn out. Every once in a while, I've got to believe that you probably get to the same point. Also, i also got to believe that there are some of us that are worn out with responsibilities. Responsibilities for our kids or our parents or life itself. I'm at that stage of life, and many of you in the audience are at that stage of life where now you're at the point of caring for your parents. Your parents cared for you for a long period of time, and now you're coming to this period of life where you're trying to care more for your parents, and sometimes that's a little overwhelming. I have found in all my ministry experience that often the one giving care needs as much help and as encouragement as the one getting the care, right? And for those of you who are in the audience this morning who are the ones who are the caregivers, you find yourself every once in a while needing the care because you're flat out worn out. Happens to us all the time at one point or the other. I said to Denise, my administrative assistant, the other day, when I turned over the calendar for the month of March, I realized that I had a new sermon series to plan and write, man camp the run, teach a premarital class, run a gathering of pastors from our district for a three-day event that's going to be held here at our church, Eastern services just around the corner, as well as all the other day-to-day events and expectations. And I thought, this is a perfect sermon for me. I hope you like it. Because <laughs> that's exactly how I feel. Matthew chapter 11 is where we are this morning. Now, some of you are sitting there going, I do that every day, and I understand it. Sometimes we get to the point where we have so many things going on in our life that we just need those moments in time. One of the things we provide with you on Sundays is where I can just simply come and rest in him. And so, the God of the universe gives an unbelievable invitation and said, come. Come to me, who? All. Everyone who's weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The God of the universe says to all of us who at one point or the other, or at any point in our life, who are weary and tired and overburdened, come, talk to me, share with me, let me know what's going on in your life. Last Sunday morning we began a series of 50 Days with Jesus. Now I'm not going to take time this morning to go through all that builds up to this section of scripture, but... Sometime this afternoon and this week, just go through Matthew alone and look at all of the events that build up in Jesus' life till he gets to this point in Matthew chapter 11 when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. If you just look at some of them, you'll see in the very beginning of that section, he preached what you and I know as the Sermon on the Mount. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people gathered in that particular context. And when you read those few verses, you probably have realized that this may have not been just one message. I mean, there's a lot of things that Jesus unpacks in that very first message. And he empties himself and shares himself to helping others understand what it is he came to do and what he's here to provide. And then he healed a variety of people as you walk through those pages. He bailed his disciples out of the storm. He took on the power of Satan. He raised a dead girl back to life. He commissioned and sent out his disciples to do ministry. What certainly infers that he spent time preparing, training, and warning them about what they're up against. Now you look at any of those in and of themselves, and then you pack them all together, and you realize this is a guy who probably himself is tired and weary. Any one of those are going to wear you out. Healing drains an individual. Dealing with Satan drains an individual. Counseling drains an individual. Teaching and preparing and trying to help others understand what it is they are asking God to do or what it is God's asking them to do. And you also realize Jesus recognized he had a short three-year window to do everything he came here to do to prepare his disciples, to take on after he left. And so he is pouring himself out, pouring himself out in every imaginable way he possibly can. A number of years ago, we were in three services in our old sanctuary, and I still talk to guys today who are doing four or five on a weekend, and I said, I don't know how you do it. By the time I finished with the third service in there and someone would come up to talk to me after the service and want prayer, I find myself or found myself sitting on the edge of the stairs because I couldn't stay standing up. It just drained me to continue to pour out energy, hope you realize I put a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy into a message, and then when you do it three different times, you feel drained. Here was Jesus in that context doing it over and over again, trying to help them understand all that he was and all that he came to do. Any one of those themselves would have drained him. And then all of a sudden, right before this section here in Matthew that we read a moment ago, you see this, where Jesus finds out that his forerunner and closest relative, John the Baptist, was in jail and asked one of the most unbelievable questions in all of Scripture. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. After Jesus finished instructing his 12 disciples, almost after he finished doing all of this, he went out from there to teach and to preach. He's still doing it. When John, John the Baptist, his cousin John, who was in prison, heard about what Jesus was doing, the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, maybe you've read that a dozen times, but every time I read that, I'm going, John, John, why would you ask that kind of question? John, were you not there when Jesus came down and you said, There he is, he's the one? John, you were the one that said he was the one who was to come. John, you were the one who said, Here he is, the Messiah, I can't even reach down and untie his shoes. No matter what you think I can do and what you think I have done, here is the one. And now, for a moment in time, after everything you've seen God do, you find yourself in prison, and you ask the question: Are you the one? John, listen down and have a conversation because I believed you when you said he was the one. And now you have a question like that, John. What kind of question is that? I'd have taken John back to Matthew in the beginning, and I said, John, you're the one who said it. Why don't you believe it now? How could you ask that kind of question? You of all people. And then I found myself being really, really honest with myself. And recognizing there were times in our life when what we hoped God would do and what we prayed God would do and what he did didn't match. Ever been there? That what you hoped God would do, what you prayed God would do, and what he actually did didn't match. You may have never had the boldness of John to say, are you who you said you were or not? But God, to believe that every once in a while you at least had the question. And Jesus answers it in a variety of ways. And to those of us who have those kinds of questions and to those of us who have unanswered prayers... Jesus says what? Come. Talk to me. Tell me what's going on in your life. You're tired, you're weary, you're weighed down. So come. And why come to him? Of all people, why come to him? Peter answered the question at the end of last week's sermon in John chapter 6. Where else can we go that you have the answers to life? Where else could we go? You have the answers to life. Now, I recognize that for the most part, I'm speaking to a brilliant audience. I mean, you know a lot of answers to life. You know a lot of things. Some of you had incredible educations. You're smart. You're savvy. You know that there's a country boy leading you on a regular basis, but you're pretty sharp and you're pretty straight. You've got a lot of answers to life, but I've got to be really honest with you. You probably don't have all the answers to life. And so Jesus, the one who has all the answers to life, says to you and I, who have questions and unanswered prayers and confusion at times as to who he is and what he's doing and why it worked out this way, come. Come. He's also talking to the tired and the run down. Those who are worn out, burdened, and carrying a load. I don't know if you've ever felt that way, overloaded. Sometimes it's being overcommitted on a part of ourselves. Sometimes it's just a part of life. Sometimes we take on more responsibilities than we probably should. Sometimes we have a hard time. I'm going to be really honest with you here for a moment. Can't share this with anybody else, okay? But I've had two administrative assistants, Denise now and Linda before that. And they said you have a few flaws. Now, I know you're shocked by that. I'm sure you already are. And one of the flaws that I have is I can't say no. And so every once in a while, I find it continuing to build up and build up until all of a sudden I'm finding myself saying, how did I get this place? Or how did I get this many responsibilities? How did I say yes to all of those things? And they'll just smile and walk into my office and say, you just can't say no. A couple of months ago, my cell phone broke down. And I'm not as savvy as the rest of you when it comes to technology. So I had to go to the Verizon store and I said to the guy, I lost all my contacts. Now, that's the scariest thing possible to lose all your contacts. How are you ever going to find them back? And so he went through this procedure, and and it was simple as could be. I I just couldn't fathom that he could do it that simple. And he said, here. And then he looked at it, and he said, you have 614 contacts. There's a guy sitting there waiting to have his phone done the X, and he says, I got eight. (laughs) I said, you want to trade? (laughs) He said, no, I'm good. And so every once in a while you find yourself in a situation where you are overcommitted by your own nature or just simply a part of life. And I hope you have somebody in your life that you can unload your burdens on, somebody to help you carry it with you or somebody that you can just talk to and allow them to hear what it is you're going through and they're willing to take a moment to listen. They really do care and they genuinely want to understand. But what I love in this passage is that Jesus is telling me that I can come to him. And I have those people in my life, and I hope you do as well. But what I love about this passage is Jesus, the God of the universe, says, I can come to him and tell him about all this stuff. Tell me how you feel. Tell me how large your burdens are. Tell me why they're burdens. Tell me why you're feeling overwhelmed. Tell me what you're going through. Tell me you're angry. Tell me you're frustrated. Ask me for help. Ask me many times when you were parents seeing your kids go through difficult times saying this phrase why didn't you just come to me right you ever imagine Jesus in heaven saying why didn't you just come to me I gave you an invitation 2,000 years ago why didn't you come and ask Jesus said lean on him when we're tired lean on him when we're overwhelmed he also says lean on me when you're afraid And Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41 is one of those familiar stories of Jesus. Large crowd gathered around him. Everywhere he went, everybody knew him. Everybody knew what was going on. They wanted just a piece of Jesus. They wanted to at least see a miracle, get fed by him. All kinds of things that he was doing. And every once in a while, Jesus said, what my wife reminds me I ought to do, just get out, go to the other side, leave the crowd and go. Take a day off, take some time off. And I love the fact that Jesus set the pace for that. And so he said to his disciples... Mark chapter 4, verse 35, let's go to the other side. So they left the crowd behind, and they took him along, just as he was, and they put him in a boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up. I love the NIV translation of that, because you kind of wonder what it looked like. Furious squall came up. The waves broke over the boat, so that it was almost swamp, and Jesus in the stern was sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care that we drowned? I've often wondered what it would have been like if Jesus said no. (laughs) But he didn't. He got up, rebuked the wind, said to the waves, quiet, be still. They were. Disciples were blown away. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him number of lessons in your sermon notes this morning. I love this section of scripture, especially in the context of come to me, you who are weak and weary laden. number of sections of scripture here, but this one specifically said, look, I need you to know that I know what you're going through. I need you to know that I'm not surprised by the storm that just came up. I need you to know that I'm not in heaven saying, I didn't know that. I didn't know they were there. I didn't know they were going through that. He knows where you are. And sometimes you go through storms, and I go through storms because we brought it on ourselves. And sometimes we go through them not because of anything we've done or not because we're disobedient. Sometimes we go through storms of life because he knows that's the best thing that's going to mature us and help us to be where he wants us to be. And so it's not always, what did I do? What did I do wrong? How am I here? What happened? What should I do different? Do I need to pray more? Should I have more faith? Sometimes he just allows us to go through those experiences because he knows that's what's going to help us become all that he wants us to be. And what you and I need to remember is that he can be trusted right in the middle of the storm. What's funny about this section of scripture, he already told them they're going to make it to the other side. He already said we're going to the other side. So they needed to know and should have known by that they're going to make it. They'll get to the other side. What you and I need to remember, he's right there with us no matter where we're at, no matter what we're going through. But we also need to remember that is even though Jesus, even though we may get shook up during the storm, Jesus never does. The other great lesson is in verse 40, especially in one of the other translations where he says, Haven't I already proved myself to you? And I went, Oh, yeah, you have. Yep, you were with me last month. You were with me last year. When I went through this valley, you were there. One of the things that God said to the children of Israel, my biggest fear is that when you get where you are without any problems going on and you're very successful, you'll forget. You'll forget who I was, where I was, and what I did for you, which is why he told them over and over and over again, remember, remember, remember. And of all things, in the context of communion, of all the things that Jesus gave and all the instructions that he shared, he said this one word, please remember me. Don't forget I'm right there with you in all of it. Now back to Matthew chapter 11. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. Now when he says the phrase, take my yoke, he knew they knew what it meant. I've often wondered if he had not only just imagined it into his mind while he's sharing with the people or sharing with the disciples, kind of looked out there and saw a farmer plowing his field and said, take my yoke upon you, be like that. And there's a picture of it here this morning. This is one kind, this is another kind. But I've often wondered when he looked out onto the field or looked out onto the area that he was speaking on, he saw that, he looked at that, and he said, hey, this is the word picture I'm trying to paint for you. When you're weary, when you're tired, when you're overwhelmed, when you're overburdened, I want to join you in this effort. I want to be with you in the process. I'm going to be by your side. I'm not letting you go through it alone. I'm right there with you. I also want to share it with you. And so when I look at this context here, I realize that he's painting a word picture in your sermon notes to help them understand that he's there to help them with the burden and also to be right beside them. So later on in his ministry, when he said to his disciples, you need to know I'm not staying here in physical form forever. I'm leaving. I'm going back to the Father from which I came. But I won't leave you alone. I will send you my Holy Spirit, the paraclete, who will walk right beside you. So no matter what you go through, no matter where you're at in life, I need you to know you will never, ever be alone. And so when Jesus paints these word pictures for us, we need to understand they're just as real when he said them as when we live them today. Now, I've got a beam up here this morning, and and it's pretty heavy. Who wants to volunteer to come help me? Molly, come here a minute, huh? She's sitting there going, oh, please, to God, don't let him call on me. I knew you knew you were going to be it, right? I want you to take this and carry it to the back, will you? All right. Good. Yeah. Just, yep. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. What What if we did this? Oh, yeah. Oh, that would be a lot easier. All right, set it down. Thank you. You're <laughs> now, if I were to ask you to pick it up, carry it out, get down Mercer Street, get on Route Eight, go north to you get to Slippery Rock, you'd probably have a hard time doing that, right? But if the two of us did that, it would take us three days to get there, but we could do it a whole lot easier, right? So when Jesus said, look, I don't want you to carry your burden alone. I don't want you to feel like you're going through life alone. I want you to know that I'm there to help you carry it. I'm not going to always take it from you. I'm not going to say, go sit down. I'll take it here. You've got to come to me. You've got to have an action. You've got to take a step. But if you come to me, I'll carry it with you. We'll go together. So don't carry it alone. Let me know what's going on in your life. There's a little sidebar to this. Coz and I were talking the other day, and Jesus uses that yoke example in a whole other context, actually through the Apostle Paul when he talks about getting married. And he said, look, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you out of love and tenderness, don't be unequally yoked with a non-believer, because you won't be going in the same directions. Little Coz, come up here a minute, bud. Come all the way over here, all the way up front, down this way. All right. All right. You love to be up front like your daddy, right? Yeah. I seriously, think I seriously think you want to pick it up. Go ahead, carry it out of here. A little hard, right? A little bit. <laughs> Go ahead, set it down. Now. Thank you, bud.
1: You're
0: welcome. All right. This is what I want you to picture in your head. If you're married, or if you're seriously getting married, seriously in a serious relationship, you're going to come to the seminar in a couple of weeks uh, on on a Sunday night, and you're in a relationship with a non-believer. If you're in a relationship with a non-believer, you're probably not going to be able to walk through life successfully because you're unequally yoked. And if little Co's, Caden and I got together and we decided he's going this way and I'm going this way or even if Molly and I decided she's going this way and I'm going this way, it's not going to work. Jesus said, look, I just, I love you enough to say if you're in a relationship with a non-believer, you're not going to end up going the same path together and you're going to end up in different places and you really struggle against one another. And to be honest with you, there's sometimes that non-believer can't even carry what it is you're carrying because they don't know who to take it to. Our gals will say, well, I'm going to lead them to Jesus. That's awesome. That's awesome. You certainly can. What I'm saying, and in my 40 years of experience, many times doesn't happen that way. And 10 years later, you're sitting in church alone by yourself, raising your kids. Because you got married. And somebody said, Scripture said, don't be unequally yoked. And you said, oh, yeah, but we'll make it. so many incredible word pictures that God uses in his word to help us understand why it's so important that we come to him and learn from him, which is the next section of the scripture. Learn from me. It infers that this verse is a process, that I'm willing to spend time with him. I'm willing to listen to him. When he said, don't do that, don't do this, don't get down that road, don't get down that path, it's going to hurt you in the end, please listen to me. It means that if I'm going to learn from him, I'm willing to listen to him. I'm willing to understand what it is he says. Sometimes it may be uncomfortable, but he knows me best, and he knows what's best for me, and he wants me to get on the right path so that I fully understand that. And what I love about him in this section of Scripture is that he makes me feel comfortable that I can come to him. He said, I'm gentle and humble in heart. Sometimes we have this image in our head that if I mess up or I go through difficulty, if I'm carrying too many burdens or it's really deep in my life and I'm down at the end of my life and I'm flat out, worn out, tired and all those kind of things and and that I come to Jesus and and I want to unload on him, he would say, see, I told you you couldn't do it. See, I told you you shouldn't have gone there. I told you, what were you thinking? And what I love about Jesus in this context is he doesn't do that at all. He said, look, come to me. I'm gentle and tender, and I will listen and understand. Write down Luke 15 somewhere in your sermon notes, the most amazing story. I think the kids even learned about it this morning. The story of the prodigal son and the prodigal father's response to that prodigal son. He got up one day and said, I've had it. I'm done. I want my inheritance, and I want it now. Takes it and goes and blows it all. At the end of that story, he finds himself saying, what did I do? The servants at my father's house eat better than what I'm eating right now. And then he says an amazing phrase. I've sinned against you and against him. And he recognizes and understands the context of that. And then he heads home. What fascinates me about the story, and I so wish God would give me insights on that, is to how long it was from the time the son actually left till he came home. And how many days that father stood there waiting and looking down the road, waiting for his son to come back? A day, a week, a month, a year? I don't know how long it took for that guy to end up in that place to recognize that he should have been there with the father all along and trusted him completely. But he didn't and came to the conclusion that I've sinned against you, father, and I've sinned against my own father. And he comes running home. And then the most unbelievable portrait that God could have ever painted is the father waiting for him to return. And instead of saying, I told you so, you really messed up this time, what were you thinking? He welcomes him home, puts his arm around him, and throws him a banquet like nobody has ever seen. When Jesus gives this invitation, come to me, you who are weak and weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'm really gentle. I'm tender. I'll let you handle it. I'll let you unload it. I'll let you unpack it. I'm not going to remind you of your mistakes. I'm going to remind you of your past. I just want you to come and talk to me. I'm here for you. Another phrase that stands out in this message is the end. When it says, and you will find rest for your soul. You can find rest for your body. I and mean, we all lost an hour's sleep last night. No matter how hard we tried, we still lost an hour's sleep. And all of a sudden, it's gone. By the time I got home from man camp, I was weary and exhausted. It was, went downstairs and went over the sermon for a couple of hours. And I came up. I mean, I'm, I was actually shot. And so I got some, a little bit of rest. And this afternoon, I'll probably take a nap and I'll sleep tonight. Sleep really hard, and and, uh, tomorrow's my day off, so what a blessing from God and all that kind of stuff. I can find rest for my body, but rest for your soul is a really profound phrase. And what I love about him is you can find rest for your soul. If I were to ask you this morning, how you doing, you'd probably say, okay, maybe you would share with me your stuff. But if I were to ask you this morning, how's your soul, that has to be a different answer. And what Jesus says, if you do everything that I said to you in this context here, if you come, if you unload, if you unpack, if you let me join you in this effort, if you burden or you're, uh, connect yourself with me, be willing to learn from me, listen to my voice, listen to my word, be obedient to that, I will give you rest for your soul. You can't find that anyplace else. No matter where you're looking, no matter where you're going, no matter what you're looking after, it will not provide you rest for your soul but Jesus. And so if I were to ask you this morning, how's your soul? You may have a different answer than, fine, okay. And if it's tired, if it's weary, if it's run down, if you're at the end of your rope and no one to listen to and no one seems to care, Jesus said, come on, talk to me. The God of the universe, seeing us as we are, invites us into his presence. Max Licato in his book, Next Door Savior, I think it is, tells an incredible story of Penny and Alan who adopted two little girls, Selena and Destiny. What was unusual about them is they were both cocaine babies who would never, ever live probably beyond a year or two, but would never survive, never move, never touch them, never listen to their voice, never hear them respond. And The pastor walked out of that setting and said, who would do that? I mean, who would look at these two children who will never survive life, let alone be able to do what normal children are able to do, and to say, I'll take them. I'll take them. And then I was reminded of the word of God in Ephesians that we studied a long time ago. Even while we were yet sinners, he says in Romans, in Ephesians when he said, you who were dead, who had absolutely no hope, I invited you in, allowed you the opportunity not just to sit at my table, but be called sons and daughters of the living God. And so that one who sees all of our stuff and all of our flaws and all of our issues says to you and I, come on. Come. Tell me what's going on in your life. Tell me where you're hurt. Tell me why you're tired. Tell me what you're frustrated with. Tell me what you're thinking when the prayer that you prayed didn't come out as you thought it would or hoped it would. Tell me what that's doing to you. Tell me what you're struggling with. Tell me how lonely you are me how you're wrestling with the issues in school and how you're trying to find where you fit in life, how you want that. You don't want to be unequally yoked. You want that mate from God because you haven't found him yet. You haven't found her yet. Talk to him about that. This morning before we share communion, we're going to do just that. I want to give you two minutes, just a couple of minutes to just spend some time with Jesus. He invites you to come, so take him up on the invitation. Tell him when you're tired. Tell him when you're weary. Tell him what you're wrestling with. But come and talk to him. When that couple of minutes is up, then I'm going to invite the communion stores to come down, and we'll share communion together. But between now and then, listen to his voice and let him listen to you. invite the community stores to come down, and you're going to notice if you've not been here before that the bread and the cup are in the same tray, so help the neighbor beside you take the bread, take the cup, the same time it goes through. Wait till everybody is served, and then I'll come back up and lead you to partake of it.
1: Come out of sadness from wherever you Hearted, let a rescue begin. Come find your mercy or oh
0: Every once in a while in my mail at home, I'll get a dinner invitation. It's not from somebody I know. It's an invitation to have them talk to me about my retirement or what nursing home I want to go to when it's all said and done. And every time I look at one of those, I think, as wonderful as that invitation may be at that stage of my life, this is the invitation of all time. That the God of the universe invites you to the most amazing banquet table Here's my body. I gave you life. I give my life for you. Here's a symbol of my blood. I shed it so that you can have the forgiveness of sins. And never, ever have to look back, but only look forward to that final day when we are at the most amazing banquet you've ever seen. In the meantime, when you're struggling and wrestling, come. You'll find rest. Share it together. And thank Him for it. Father, I always stand at this point just overwhelmed with gratitude for what you've done and for the invitation you give. And that the God of the universe invites us to come. It's overwhelming. And so thank you for the invitation. Thank you for what you provide. Thank you that you really do have all the answers to life. Where else would we go? You're the one. And so we come to you. Walk with every one of our family members and our friends and those of us who are here this morning who share with you our burden, continue to speak to us and teach us and walk with us until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you are going through some deep water and I could pray for you or we can pray for you, we'd love to do that. Please let us know. Have an amazing day. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. God bless you.